Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, your producer and co-host. So happy to have you here, folks. Today, we've got an Enneagram 5, Wing 4, talking about author Kristen Lavalley. And the title of her book is Even If He Doesn't, and it's all about her experience of finding God in suffering. We have a great conversation today on that topic. Incidentally, the foreword on this book, which drops on 220, by the way, is written by a friend of ours, Carlos Whitaker, a past guest and guest who will be coming in the near future. She has a really cool experience. She recounts with him in the book. And of course, as I said, he wrote the foreword. So that's it. Kristen LaValle, Enneagram 5 Wing 4. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now here is our host, Ian Cron. Kristen LaValle, Enneagram 5, author of the brand new book, Book. It's dropping on February the 20th. It's called Even If He Doesn't, What We Believe About God When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Kristen, welcome to Typology. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. And oh man, we love having Enneagram Fives on the show. Yes. And I want to just I just want to add begin with a with a with a quick question. Um it's hard to find you, you fives. Yes, I know. Hard to, and hard to I get know. you on a show. So this That's how I knew I could get on your show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to have a line of fives now, man. It's going to be good. Yeah. So like um, Enneagram fives are a mystery to lots of people. Mm-hmm. You, you are perhaps the most misunderstood number uh, on the Enneagram. I think Enneagram five women are particularly misunderstood. And I just want to know... What's it like on your insides? Like, you know, on your, like, like, what's it like? What's the interior atmosphere and the habitual patterns inside of a five that would help us feel like you're less of a mystery if we knew about them? Well, as a wing four, I love that you um, said that we are the most misunderstood. My, my yeah. four wing <laughs> loves that. So thanks for that validation. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think I think um, we are misunderstood because we are so reserved and feel things really deeply, but don't express them in the way that is expected for a woman, a woman to express their thoughts and feelings and emotions. So I think just um, what is the phrase? Still waters run deep. There, there's a lot going on inside of us all the time that if we were to express it, you might be scared. So it's it's really a gift to you that we <laughs> that we hold back a little bit. Mm. So five with fours tend to be the, like one of the more quirky numbers on the Enneagram, right? We, we've talked about hear. this, Anthony. Well, because you got one foot in the heart space and one foot mm-hmm. in the head space. Yeah. What's that like on the inside? Like, what does that look like to be someone that is like sort of charged up with both feelings and thoughts? It's like living in a lot of conflict 
all the time. And mm. um, because we tend to be self preserving, we go inward a lot because we have all these feelings, but we need to make them make sense before we can mm. express them or sometimes even function at a basic level because there's so much going on inside of us at any given moment. <laughs> hmm. How is it that a woman is expect, expected to express herself? And what is it about being a five that is in conflict with that? I think women are expected to emote. I don't know if there's specific ways we're expected to emote, but just emoting in general can be hard as, um, as a five. I've really struggled with that growing up in the evangelical world as a pastor's kid. And then my husband and I were in ministry for a little over a decade. And the way that I express my emotions tends to be a little, um, I don't know if monotone is, is the right way, but the way that I emote comes out in my writing, not necessarily in the way that I speak or the way that I form words. My friends say that I'm notoriously unimpressible. And it's not that I'm not I bet I'm unimpressed. It's just that I struggle to express that in a way that people understand that I am impressed or that I'm excited or that I am feeling something deeply. It doesn't always show up in my face the way that I think people right. expect it to. Interesting. Yes. I, uh, I said this to Anthony. I have a friend of mine who's a five and he, he likes to say, sometimes people tell me that when they look at me, I look like a blank computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. Right? I mean, it's sort yeah. of like, sort of hard for some fives to be very animated. Like you look at a seven, yeah. right? Or a, or a two. Man, when right. twos are animated, all, all the emotions on the face, all the excitement, yeah. the bugging eyes, the big smile. Yeah. And like with fives, man, it's just so much more muted. Yeah. Kind of very much more of a muted. Yeah, we're processing. Uh, kind of, yeah, like, like so much more of a like a muted presentation. So fives with four wings are interesting, right? They, um, they, they often want to uh, be high-minded thinkers and they're seekers. They're people who think about the larger questions of life, ultimate questions of life. And of course, mm -hmm. that's what's going on in your new book, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about suffering, yeah. Right. And in a, when you talk about suffering, this is the ultimate question of life, right? Like if there's a good exactly. God, you know, this is about yeah. the Odyssey. It's about, you know, if, if there's a good God, why do bad things happen to people? You know, the, the whole yeah. thing, this is the like question the, the, of you're, all you're wrestling with the big stuff. And yeah. what's interesting is that is all the stuff that resides. When you look at the Enneagram, this is a premise of mine, but you've got that five and four gap at the bottom. And we, we, we oftentimes call the gap between the five and the four, the chasm or the abyss. Mm -hmm. And fives and fours, oftentimes when they're not doing great, they look over the edge into the abyss. So fives and fours often can be nihilistic. They could be a little yep. bit too much. They can really be drawn to, you know, uh, writers um, like Sartre and Camus. Mm -hmm. um, Nietzsche is a big one for fives and fours. You know, it's like... And they can get it's very heady stuff, mm -hmm. and they can look down into the abyss, and it can get pretty dang dark yeah. down there, like emotionally and and intellectually yep. quite dark. Do you know anything about? Are you resonating with somebody that spent sure. a lot of time peering over from your number into the abyss? Yeah, I've I've really struggled with that, especially as a uh, Christian writer, with this idea that you know we have to have joy and we have to put forth this like 
things might be bad, but God is always good. I've really struggled with, um, would I have anything to say if everything in my life was going good? Because I tend to, even when things are going good, you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop or you're seeing negative implications. My husband always says that I have an implication brain. So it makes it really hard for me to function at like a, everything is good level because I'm always reading into what people say and, and following the patterns of behavior and okay, everything's good right now, but mm, that tone was a little off. So they might be mad at me or they might be upset about something. So I've really struggled with the, um, the concept of what is, what is the worth of my work if I'm not writing about things that are really hard and difficult and giving words to complex pain. <laughs> Jury's still out because mm. I've had such a such a heavy share of hard things. So who knows? We'll see in this next season of life if I have anything to say. <laughs> right. Well, you very well may. I sure I hope, right? We we all hope Let's to hope. evolve and and, yeah. and and have new things to say to the world. So you mentioned that you've had some hard things happen. What t- tell me more about that. Well, there's a series of events that happen um, in pretty quick succession over a period of five years, a little less than five years, where we were sort of ousted from our church ministry position and lost our community and our home and our income and kind of just decided to transition away from full-time ministry. And then um, I witnessed a murder when I was at home alone with my kids, had to run away from the house with my kids, this whole whole scene. Um, We lost a baby. We lost several members of my family. And then finally, what the book kind of focuses on the most is this traumatic crisis pregnancy that I had when I was carrying twins that ended up in a traumatic emergency C-section and then a two-month NICU stay, which that is a lot to say all in one breath. But um, that is that has been my life in the last, you know, five, six years. And I'm assuming that this is what motivated you to write this book, even if you sure. doesn't, right? Yeah. All right. So can you just give me the premise of the book? Like, what's the thesis? Well, it's a book about suffering and I'm kind of tackling these sort of platitudes that we often hear when somebody is going through a crisis or experiencing trauma and engaging with with those things that people say and engaging with our beliefs so that when suffering comes into our life we're not falling apart because the theology that we are holding doesn't hold up when crisis hits and these things that we believe so strongly when suffering comes into our lives, we realize mm, that doesn't really apply to me. So what does that mean if this thing that I believe doesn't hold up in the waters that I'm waiting right now? What do I do? Do I just abandon what I believe or do I dig deeper into it? And I think the church has has a really hard time with engaging with hard things in a way that's sincere and helpful and not harmful. And I wanted to write the book that I needed. Maybe I wouldn't have read it at the time because I was so deep in the darkness, but these are the words that I wish people would have said to me when I was really struggling with what I was going through and the implications to my faith when those things were happening. What happens when a five suffers? What's going on? What, what, like, what's it like, like through the lens of a five? We go really, really deep inside of ourselves and compartmentalize like nobody's business. And that is not always a great thing, but it is a survival thing. What does that mean? I mean, I think I think I know what you mean, but tell our listeners what you mean when you say we compartmentalize like crazy when we're suffering. So for me, when we were going through what we went through in with my pregnancy, we had three older kids and 
I woke up every day not knowing if our girls were going to live that day or die that day. And mm. it was very medically complicated. There were lots of decisions to be made on a day-to-day basis. We were also in an RV trying to get into a house. And there's all these practical things that are happening while this deeply spiritual and terrifying thing and medical thing is also happening. And I kind of made the decision early on that I didn't want to bring my kids into that, into those questions and the wondering what was going to happen every day, because we had already walked through so many traumatic things with them that I just felt this inclination to shield them from everything. So they didn't know that anything was wrong with my pregnancy until after we had brought the girls home from the hospital. And what that meant for me was hiding myself in a closet when I was crying or just not expressing those emotions at all and putting them someplace in the back of my mind where I would say to myself, okay, I can't control what's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen here. Right now in this moment, the babies are alive. I can only live in this moment. I can't worry about what's going to happen next or what could possibly happen, or I'm going to fall apart. And if I fall apart, everything falls apart. So I just stuffed that fear down. I would cry in bathrooms. I would cry in a pillowcase, or I would go somewhere else to process that stuff. And what ended up happening for us is that it created this distance between me and my older three children where there was a disconnect and there was a uh, attachment that was broken during that. And I don't think I realized the extent to how that was happening until I was in therapy later on. And I was processing all of this, but that was a connection that I had to rebuild after um, everything was okay. And I was starting to feel okay. Again, in my, my head, I had to rebuild that bond with my children, but I felt to protect them, I needed to separate myself from them. And so the end is that once we came home and everything was okay, and I started processing it, it got really messy because everything else from the outside looked fine. The girls were home, we were healing, we bought a house, everybody gets a happy ending. But because I had compartmentalized and stuffed it down so much, it was only after we were home, three months after the girls were out of the hospital that I began to process all that fear and all that anxiety and all the what ifs. But because I was in really intense therapy at the time, I was able to do that with my family. And and instead of hiding in closets, I would just cry in front of them and let those emotions come out as they did, which was uh, a pretty uh, unusual thing for my kids to see. But it was so important for me to be able to show them that that pain instead of hiding it because it was breaking me to continue to hide everything that I was feeling. That was a really long answer. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Well, you know, it's interesting, like for fives, you know, we know that, that they have trouble having their feelings in the moment as they arise, Mm -hmm. that they typically, they typically will, they need time to think their way to the feeling. Yeah. And that may not be as true with a five or the four wing as it is with a five or the six wing. Mm -hmm. But uh, it seems to me that, and also that five or the six would be slightly more anxious than a five or the four. But the that five or the four still, even with that four wing, n- needs some time to process like yeah. like feelings before they they can just have them out front, you yeah. know. And and it sounds like, you know, that's something that you were actually able to do. Mm-hmm. Right. But eventually you were no longer able to do it. And so feelings were just coming up in the moment. Was that scary yeah. for you? Yeah, it felt really chaotic and mm-hmm. like I couldn't control myself. I was so used to rationalizing every feeling that I had and trying to think 
think it through that when they would just come out with seemingly no reason, something would just trigger it and I would just explode in some way. It was, it was scary. I was, I felt like I was spiraling into something that I couldn't come back from. It didn't feel like processing. It felt like losing control. Mm -hmm. Well, and exactly. And so for, for, yeah, for fives, having feelings like that, that with that kind of intensity and with that feeling of being overwhelmed would be terrifying, Mm -hmm. right? For, for a lot of fives. Yeah. I totally understand why that would be really earth kind of earth shaking for, for, for a five, right? You're trying to tackle a big subject here about suffering and just a little um, bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. What's the big takeaway for us? Like in the book, like what, what, what's the, What's, you know, you say, even if he doesn't, what have you learned that we need to know? I think as a, as a five, we're always trying to make sense of everything. And I think fives are uniquely gifted in the making sense of things. And something like suffering is, is something that everyone tries to make sense of because we have to make it mean something. We have to find the purpose in it. We have to have some kind of target for our pain. Otherwise it feels like what's the point? And especially as people people who believe in God, we're we're like, what is what is the point of suffering if God is good? It's got to have some reason. And the big takeaway in the book is that we can't always rationalize it. We can't always find a logical stream of thought. And we can't always point to a thing that's happened and say, this is what it is. I am a formula person. I love a formula. And you cannot find the formula for suffering. And if the formula doesn't work every time, the formula doesn't work. And there's no perfect explanation for why suffering happens in every single person's life. But we can trust that God is good. And we can trust that even when things don't make sense, he's present with us in that suffering. Um, even if we can't find the logical, <laughs> the logical formula or the spiritual reason that something is happening, we can relax into the knowledge that even if things don't go our way, we're, we're going to be okay, no matter what's happening around us. I do love that you write, when we're obsessed with finding the purpose for everything, we're seeking comfort in the purpose rather than the comfort of Christ. That yeah. sounds like what Just you're trying to say thing. there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hear, I hear that's a little bit of where you were headed there in, that, in your uh, answer to Ian's question. Is that the case? Yeah. I, I love a I love a reason. I love a purpose. I love an explanation. And when it comes to things like this, sometimes there is no comfort in the explanation for the suffering, but we can have comfort in the God who is with us in the suffering. Hmm. Okay. My suspect, given that you've hinted at it, that you had some nasty experience in a church where you got beat up a little bit and mm-hmm. spit out. Yeah. Just I'm just guessing. And yeah. that and that um Maybe the theology, the theology, I'm guessing here, the theology of that church no longer could carry the freight of your deeper questions, maybe. What was your viewpoint on suffering back then, and, and how has it changed? I fully believed that there were a list of things that you could do and be that would sort of absolve you from blame or from suffering, or that maybe suffering will come, but because I did all these things right, God would vindicate me. And in that mm. particular situation, that didn't happen. And the whole the whole scenario was very confusing to me because 
again, as a five, I'm always trying to make sense of things and I couldn't make sense of it. And I was driving myself crazy trying to find mm-hmm. the reasons why this, this had happened and trying to make the theology that I had fit into this situation that had happened. And of all the things that have happened in my life, all the suffering I've experienced, that hurt the most. And that challenged my faith more than anything, because it felt like God had sided with my accusers and the people who had hurt us. And I couldn't make sense of that because I did everything right. I I didn't have some unconfessed sin. I confronted the way you're supposed to confront. I lived my life in service, all the things that I thought that I was supposed to do and things still didn't turn out my way. So I had to turn out my faith and figure out what I was believing that was so (laughs) incorrect that it sent me into this absolute spiral, existential Mm -hmm. crisis. Mm -hmm. Folks, you've heard me share on the show before that years ago as a pastor, I burned out. I have seen this happen so many times to all kinds of Christian leaders and shepherds. Most people, in my experience, try to heal and grow in their own self-help program, but it's not enough. Now, for me, I've gotten so much help through intensive retreats, and that's what I want for you. That's why I'm also a big believer in the intensive retreats offered by my friends, Drs. Bill and Christy Galtier. You've heard them on the show before. They're therapists and they're founders of Soul Shepherding. With their team of senior spiritual directors, they will help you go deeper in your relationship with God, in your emotional health, and in loving relationships. Their faith-based psychology and spirituality is really life-changing. You can choose from multiple Soul Shepherding retreats across the U.S. You'll get to be personally mentored and cared for by Bill, Christy, and their staff in an authentic, faith-based community who are committed to serving God as leaders or shepherds. Plus, with the retreat program, you have the option to earn a certificate in the Ministry of Spiritual Direction. So here's what I want you to do. Visit soulshepherding.org today for a free consultation with a senior spiritual director on Bill and Christie's staff. It's your turn. You can go deeper in your relationship with God, in your emotional health, and in your loving relationships. Go to soulshepherding.org and click on Go On Retreat. Yeah, there's nothing quite like suffering to um, tear the wrapper off of your tidy, neat theological formulas um, mm-hmm. and to, to throw you way off your guard. It's like a loss of innocence. And yeah. it's actually, I think, honestly, I think it's a necessary wound, as yep. it's called. Um, mm-hmm. It's a wound in the development of, of a soul that has to happen at some point. Yeah. I think about C.S. Lewis and when mm-hmm. his wife Joy died, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that suddenly this genius even his theological categories were upended in a way, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that caused a lot of, threw a lot of things into, into question for him, yep. you know? Yeah. And I think that, that, that happens for all of us at some point, you know? Yeah. And, um, I guess one of the things I oftentimes think to myself is when I suffer now, I'm, I'm quite a bit older, but I think I've learned this. It's just not personal. Yeah. Yeah. It feels personal. It feels personal, but just because it feels yeah. personal doesn't mean it is personal. I remember yeah. I remember when I was a younger guy and I was going, I was in therapy and I was working through family of origin, you know, mm-hmm. terrible abuse situations and things. 
And I remember I kept asking the question of this therapist, a really wise older man, why me? Why, why, you know, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen mm-hmm. to me? And finally he got, he got mad at me one day and he said, well, why not? <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, he had a lot of relationship with me at this point, right? But what he was really trying to do in a very powerful way was to say, we live in a broken world and people suffer. Mm-hmm. And that's how it is. Yeah. And the question now becomes, what are you going to do with what you've gone through? Right? Like, like we can yeah. sit here all day long asking the question, why me? Why now? Why this? Mm-hmm. Why is the world like this? Blah, blah. Okay, you can sit around and ask those questions all day long. And maybe there's, a, there's an appropriate season for those questions. But you better kind of move through it pretty fast, Ian, because guess what? There's no answer. Like, yeah. you can sit here all day long, but there's no, there's no finality to this. Like, mm-hmm. question is, what now? Is that yeah. your experience? Like, I'm just curious. Yeah. And I feel like in the evangelical world, we're fed this really self-focused spirituality in general. Jesus is my personal savior. He was thinking of me when, when he died. It was my sin that put him on the cross. And when you have this really self-centered spirituality, then your suffering is going to feel really self-focused as well. And it's going to feel like if Jesus is always thinking about me, why did he allow this thing to happen to me? And so then we try to repurpose it into something or we try to make sense of it or we try to find the lesson in it or we try to find the unconfessed sin in it or we relax into it and say, well, he said that we're going to be suffering. So this is just proof that I'm in the will of God. And all of those things are just trying to find a purpose to the pain. And I think Sometimes suffering, you can turn it into something that's beautiful. And sometimes it just is what it is. And you just have to accept what your lot in life is and not stay in that, um, I don't want to say victim mindset, because sometimes that's just when you're stuck and you're hurting, that doesn't mean you are constantly victimizing yourself. But I think at some point you have to move past trying to figure out why it happened and just accept that it happened. And now we move forward. And how do we move forward? I think we move forward with our pain and that we don't always have to turn it into something that can be used by other people, but we can turn it into something that shapes us and helps us grow and helps us become more empathetic and compassionate people towards other people who are suffering. Yeah. So it's very important. I, and I was listening very carefully what you were saying. You, we have to accept that something's happened. And oftentimes people confuse acceptance with resignation. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think acceptance is a very high spiritual state. It, mm. it is, and it's, it's not, it's not actually something you can manufacture. It's a gift. No. Uh, uh, so when we resign to suffering, people who resign tend to be a very glum lot and they're not a lot of fun to be around <laughs> because, you know, I've been through this, I've been through that and I've kind of resigned yeah. to the fact that this happened and resignation is sort of, kind of a, I don't know, it's like you've come to a draw with life. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you're just like, I'm yeah. resigned, this happens, there's nothing I can do about it. And it, it, there is a self-pity component to it. Like, yeah. I'm resigned, right? And and I, Anthony, I didn't tell you this, but my friend Craig, I don't, I think you've met Craig before. Craig is a, a friend of mine, and, and he, he once said to me, man, when I throw a pity party, I got to call a valet car service. <laughs> 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 he says like he says like I, I can be so good at a pity party. He yeah. says I gotta call the I gotta call a caterer. I gotta call the valet parking That's guys. Awesome. I gotta do the whole thing. And 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 you know people kind of can go and live there for years, if not a yeah. whole life, right? But acceptance is a very transcendent, advanced mm-hmm. spiritual space of 
open-handedness, this happened. Mm -hmm. This was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I may not have the answers to why it happened, but, but I can accept that this, this is what's, what, what has gone down, that these are the cards. I have to play these cards. Yeah. And I can do it with some kind of modicum of, of, of joy. I guess understand that God understands. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I think it's really easy to get resigned into your suffering and, and let that be your identifier and just say, okay, well, this is just what God's given me. So I'm just the suffering girl and brand yourself as someone who suffers. And I don't really know the way out of that, except through growth and getting to a place where you realize that everyone suffers and we are not unique in our suffering. And sometimes if you, if you have this mentality that you're being targeted and you have been chosen, you know, the, that like cheesy phrase that yeah. says God, God chooses his strongest soldiers for his hardest battles or whatever it is. Believing Jeez. that makes you feel like you've been chosen for that suffering and makes it easier yeah. to identify by it. Right. Yeah. So this is, this is what I meant earlier when I said it's not personal. Yeah. Right. Like right. I realized, but like this therapist one day said to me, you know, I, I had a bad alcoholic father, quite abusive, you know, eventually died from his disease of, of addiction. And he, one day he said, okay, Ian, listen to me. If another kid had been born in your shoes, the exact same thing would have happened to him. Mm -hmm. It's not personal. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. it's, and I remember thinking to myself, don't wow. take that away from me. Well, exactly. Well, as an Enneagram four, yeah. that is, ex well, because at that point in my life, Anthony, I was like 28, right. 29. Right. I was trying to get my life together. And I just realized at that point that I had organized my identity yes. around that experience. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Absolutely. And, that, and, and it was like, no, dude, like it was going to happen to anybody in those shoes. Mm -hmm. And, and, yeah. and to, to realize that I was leveraging that experience. Mm -hmm. in really unhealthy ways to get needs met through other people. I mean, it was just kooky, right? And so you realize yeah. one day, you realize it ain't personal, man. And guess yeah. what? Oh, I hate to say this, but, and I don't know why, I must be in a mood today. But the what I was going to say was that sometimes I want to say to people that in that state, it's like, I don't know what makes you think your suffering is any more special than anybody else's. Yeah, and probably part of not that a helpful thing to say, but... <laughs> Sometimes, well, hold on a second. You're right. But sometimes we mollycoddle people. Yeah. And sometimes when you have the relational capital, it is okay to say to somebody, how is this working for you? Yeah. That relational this, capital is, is important. Yeah. Well, of course it is. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't just say it to a person on the bus next to me. But the, 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 <laughs> but the, you Would know, you know? But, the, but, but, but I will say, okay, the older I get, no, honestly, the older I get and the less time you have on the clock, the more apt you are to start getting honest with people pretty quick. Mm. You know, you can say those things with great kindness. I wish some people had said some harder things to me with great kindness as a younger man, mm. actually. Uh, there were times when I was very self-indulgent yeah. um, and a little too impressed with my journey. And uh, <laughs> I, really needed, I really needed someone to come alongside yeah. me and say, you know what, dude, that. you're like, you know, every, every, or like as... As uh, Michael Stipe once beautifully said, everybody hurts, man. And, you know, everybody does hurt. And it's, it's true it's how we work. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. 
Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. With our suffering is the definition of spirituality. Yeah. And I think that's good to, to be able to say to someone, I think in a lot of ways that can be really validating and it can feel like a relief to have someone say, Hey, it's not about you. You weren't chosen for this. It just is what it is. I think there's freedom in that. And and there is a path to move forward. If you can get to a point where you're accepting that this is not what you were chosen for. This is just something that happened. Yeah. Well, I think that's, uh, like I said, maybe I'm in a mood today, but but I but I feel <laughs> like sometimes it's we we live in an age actually of great where where people almost revel in their own mental fragility, mm. and uh, you know if if I hear one more person talk to me about self care, I'm just going to bang my head against the wall because <laughs> it's, it's you know eventually I just want to say okay we've taken this a little too far like like you know like supposed, you know I, I feel like some of us kind of need to like pull our pants up and like get out, you know, like, uh, and, and move beyond self-defining ourselves mm-hmm. as, you know, it, it, anyway, it, a lot it, of navel gazing. It, there's, yeah. We can turn into a lot of navel gazing, uh, about all manner of things that are self can become self-indulgent. I'm not sure. saying that things don't have to be worked out. They do, but I think we can spend our whole life in it. Yeah. So um, to me, it's all yeah. about if you, well, I think what you're hitting on is when we define ourselves by that suffering, and so then it becomes our story that we have to tell everywhere we go. And right, it's, it's in every song. Yeah. It's in every but. So I mean, look, uh, I'm I, I am a, actually quite a compassionate person, and I and I am pretty damn empathic as a four, I think. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I've learned that empathy and compassion. You know, the Buddhists have a wonderful phrase. They call it idiot compassion. And idiot compassion is when you are just sort of like always soft. Sometimes, sometimes in the midst of suffering, we need to hear hard truths, you know, and, yeah, and we become ready definitely. for them. Yep. So, yeah. Anyway, so you've got this um, uh, quote in the book where you talk about in pain, God becomes full, vibrant color, meaning what for you? For me, because my faith was so formulaic, I think I, I never experienced how good God can be in the, as Christians like to say, the valley of the shadow of death and, the, and that darkness. And in my pain and suffering, I feel like God just became so much more vibrant to me, so much more real to me. I, I think I the, the words from scripture popped out a lot more to me and, and it felt, felt a lot more um, intentional and exciting in my pain which maybe is a is a is a conflict of ideas there but it just seemed like he his presence was more tangible when 
I was hurting and needed that comfort. I felt it more than, than I ever did in the formulaic expression of my faith. Yeah. I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, what I'm hearing you say is pre pain, those little formulas and those little sayings and catchphrases, they can actually get you through and you're missing God altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your doctrine becomes your God. Yeah. And when you, when that doesn't work for you anymore, you got to find the real thing. And therefore all of a sudden you go from black and white to technicolor. Screaming color. Yep. I love that, Anthony. That was well said, buddy. I'm not surprised that you said it because you, (laughs) no, I mean that because you're quite a deep guy. Uh, But I love the way that you just gave expression to that. uh, That's a really powerful truth. And like, Anthony, can I ask you a question about your own life, right? Like we're almost the same age. You're like, what, four years younger than I am or something like that? Mm -hmm. I can't remember. So when you look back on your life, can you look back on, like, I don't don't want to say this. Like I actually now am at a stage in my life where I think about really hard things that happened in my life. And part of me now can say, I came through it, and I don't, I don't know if, if, if I had to play this game over again, like it's okay. I, like, like I, I can see where what it did to me in the long run turned out to be quite beautiful. I know it doesn't always end that way for people, but I do know for me, I look back on the really hard stuff, and kind of part of me some mornings wants to get on my knees and say thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. What about you? Well, I definitely feel, yeah, I don't know. The, it has worked something in me that I don't know would be there otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's like Kristen's saying in her book, experiencing God in those places I wouldn't have other ventured mm-hmm. into uh, proved to bear fruit and experience God in a way I never would have. So for that you know, I am grateful for for the God that I know now and for the Anthony that I know now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, well said, Anthony. Thank you. <laughs> I, I would say I'm having trouble today. I'm, I love that you're you're saying things. So, and I love how hard that, that you and I just struggled to put those ideas together. Yeah. Both of us were kind of like tripping over words, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To get to a place of saying, dare I say this out loud, but, <laughs> you know, would I, would I change anything? I will say. And uh, sometimes, uh, no. Yeah, I'll share a, no. a quick little story. I went through something that was devastating about 25 years ago. Devastating. Changed my life. And post that experience, when someone asked me to tell my story, I would always tell that as a part of the story. <laughs> I would always, well... When I was at da, 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 da. and I was out of town. This is pretty divine sort of experience I'm about to tell you. So I was out of town with a family friend. They were asking me to tell my story. And so I did what I've been doing for the last several years, post all this hurt. And we're driving into another city, not, not even around where I lived, uh, hours and hours away from where I lived. And I told the story and I felt like I heard in my spirit, I felt like I heard God kind of nudged me and say, that's the last time you will ever tell that story as it having defined you. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, what does that mean? Wow. What, what is that? What's about to happen? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. I hadn't, there was a particular person that hurt me. Hadn't seen them in years. Pulled into the city that we were headed to, again, hours away from where I lived. Pulled into the parking lot. 
and across the parking lot was that person. Wow. They I made love a, these stories. They made a beeline toward me, gave me a hug, and backed up and said, do you remember when? And I love that that there was, that I let go of it before I ever heard sorry from that person. I love that, I've, that I had that ex, the divine experience in the car. This will never define you again before the sorry. And something shifted in my heart. And then by the grace of God, as a gift after the fact, right? This thing happens in the parking lot. That's just like the bow, you know, the icing on the top. It's nice when it comes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's real nice when it comes. And it, it's uh, it's interesting. I think in general, Kristen, now we're just all just ripping aloud here, which is fine. I think Protestants really, well, particularly evangelicals struggle with this because there's a kind of triumphalism yep. that's in it kind of baked into it. Whereas Catholics are really good with suffering. Mm-hmm. Eastern Orthodox, much better with suffering. It's, it's built into yep. the theology, right? Yeah, it's it built is. in, and it is not built into the evangelical no. experience. It is no, not. uh-uh. And so I think that that is part of what happens for people in that universe sometimes is they come up against something that their theology just can't carry the weight of it. And, yep. it, and, so, it, and so it collapses underneath it. Yep. And so that's the disservice we do, right? And then the disservice is obviously to your point, maybe this is why your your you know your new book, even if he doesn't, is you know so helpful, right? Is very simply that sometimes you just have to learn just to be with it. Yep. You know, yeah. just learn 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 how to be with it. And yeah. um and and it will change over time. Like your yes. relationship to suffering changes over time. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. the way I look at it now, is the things that I went through as a younger man and as a boy, you know, I look back and I think, you know, it's not the same story. I don't tell the same story. Mm-mm. You know, it's, it's completely different. Anthony, this has been rich. Yeah. Love this. Good to have you what on. What a great Christine. way to end, to end my Friday. Yes. <laughs> so good. Listen, everybody, I want you to go and check out uh, – my new friend, Kristen LaValle's new book, it's titled, Even If He Doesn't, uh, it's out on February the 20th, so you can pre-order it now, and uh, it will get uh, get out to everybody. Um, Kristen, what's your website? It's kristenlavalle.com, right? Yep, real easy. So K-R-I-S-T-E-N-L-A-V-A-L-L-E-Y. Everybody go to that website. Check out more about Kristen's stuff. Uh, the book is uh, got a forward by our friend, former guest on our show, Carlos Whitaker. Anthony, you got any? You've been saying so many good things today, brother. You, 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 <laughs> why don't you give us? Why don't you sign out for us today? You should do the sign off. Oh man, I, so do you know funny. the sign off by heart? I, I, I would think I'd mess it up. I could say it with you. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's like little kids. It's like mom together. and it's like dad. It's like it's like dad and son saying their evening prayers together. Yeah. Hi, here we go. Hey, everybody, may you have love. May, may you have, have joy. May, may you, you have, have peace. peace. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this, Ian. I'm like, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, peas and carrots. <laughs> so close. Oh, everybody, I wish you could have seen that on camera, man. He's looking at me like this. He's looking at me like May you have love. love. Pea. <laughs> I was like, peace, joy. Pizza. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. Pre- you had to witness I prefer, this dysfunction. I prefer for it to wash over me. All right, everybody. Let's get down to the serious stuff. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. And may you have rest. And may you go out and buy our new friend, Kristen LaValle's new book, even if he doesn't pre-order it now or wait until Feb 20. And you can pick it up on Amazon or wherever people sell fine books. See you next time. Life's better with an auto policy from American Family Insurance. No matter what dreams you're driving towards. That's because our expert agents will make you feel totally protected with the right auto coverage at the right price. You'll also save up to 23% when you bundle auto with home. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.